Merry Christmas. We're so excited to be, this is our first Christmas series, uh, Christmas service as a Livingstones Church. So this is awesome. We wanted as, a, my name's Tim, by the way, and I'm one of the leaders, uh, part of our shepherding team here. And we're just, welcome. We're so excited to have you guys. We're so excited to see what God's doing here. Um, and we just want to invite everyone that's here to, you know, participate, be part of this gathering. This, uh, it was awesome. Everyone did awesome with the, the band, the music. That was amazing. Thank you guys for putting on just an awesome service. So as we heard from the scripture reading this morning, um, that God had a plan, right? That um, from Genesis, when Adam and Eve first took the bite of the apple, sin entered the world. And all throughout the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. That Jesus isn't the plan B, right? Like God didn't just like, okay, I created human, and now, oh no, they didn't do, they're not doing very well. I gotta, all right, Jesus, it's your turn. Tag in, tag out. That's not what it was about. From the very beginning, Jesus was part of that plan. And this kind of leads me to my main point. Something, if you take anything away today, I want you to take away this. That God had a plan to save us, to be with us. That God had a plan to save us, to be with us. And it all comes down to this pinnacle moment in time and history where God enters into our world. He breaks through the barriers of heaven, comes into our world as a baby in a manger. So we're going to dive right into this. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. And I'll read that one more time to you guys. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So, when we have kids, we tend to name them something that, like, has meaning, right? Well, hopefully. I know there's some celebrities out there that name their kids like Apple. Please don't do that. Please don't. But even my nephew, that was my nephew, by the way. Uh, my nephew, Nico, was named after a distant cousin, and he had meaning. But if there's any teachers in the room, uh, you would know that sometimes we don't necessarily name our kids after a name that has a sour taste in our mouth, Right? Like there's a kid that comes into your classroom and you're like, I will never name my kid that. But it shows the weight and gravity to like, we name our kids with meaning. And that's just simply what I'm getting at, is that names have a meaning. So we're going to highlight that. But first, we got to kind of know where Matthew's going with this text. Like who is Matthew writing to? And Matthew is writing to the Jewish people, the covenantal people. So Matthew specifically highlighted Jesus' royalty, his lineage, and his divinity. So right off the bat, we see in verse 21 and 23 that they shall call his name Jesus, and they shall call him Emmanuel. 
And Matthew made it pretty easy, uh, translating Emmanuel to God with us. And this would have been a radical idea for the Jews. Because if you've ever studied the Old Testament, um, you would kind of understand, like, all right, like, God's with us. Uh, like, I understand that, like, he's omnipresent, he's always around. But there was always these boundaries in the Old Testament. We see at Mount Sinai with um, Moses. Like, no one could enter the presence of the Lord. He, there was a clear line. If you pass this line around the Mount Sinai, you would die because God was so holy. There was always these boundaries. And then we could think about the, um, the temple, the Jewish temple. It was segregated. The Jews were here. Um, Gentiles here, women here. It was all separated. And only one person, one time a year, could actually enter into the Holy of Holies. It was just, there was these boundaries. So it was, it was a big deal to hear like, what, God with us in the flesh? And we see that even Matthew pushes on a little bit further. And he's like, this child, Emmanuel, God with us, was born of a virgin. That this, this man, this, this God-man, was not just man. He was fully God and fully man. He was highlighting the divinity of Christ. We see in 1 John, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made, but was made. And he goes further in verse 14. And the word became flesh. This is the, this is the baby in the manger. The word became flesh. God became man. And the Excuse me. And, the, and he became flesh and he dwelt among us. This is God with us. God, and this is just, it's mind blowing that God would send himself to save us. Further on in John, and we see his glory glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This child is the word made flesh. This is God. This child is Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, let's just think about this. The God who created the stars and the planets. Like, there are solar systems that are just, I mean, they're massive. There's planets that can fit millions of our earth with inside of it. That God, he didn't come with power and might, but he came as a humble baby. That's, that God, he could have been born in a royal palace, but he chose to be born in a tiny village in Bethlehem. He didn't come on a throne but he was born in a grimy feeding trough surrounded potentially by farm animals. It's the humility to enter in our world in such a way. 
Martin Luther says this, the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh is beyond all human understanding. This child is Emmanuel, God with us. The second name we see given to him is Jesus, right? Verse 21 of Matthew chapter one. The angel, the angel tells Joseph, she shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will be, for he will save his people from their sins. So let's just break this down real quick. Jesus, the Hebrew translation is Yeshua, commonly translated as Joshua, meaning Jehovah saves, God saves, deliverer, rescuer. His name indicates he came for a purpose of saving his people. God had a plan to save us, to be with us. However, we must ask the question, Save his people from what? What does he have to save us from? If asked, most people are com uh, completely unaware of the greatest need. Believe it or not, our greatest need is not financial stability or success, good health, influential social situations, education, or just a positive self-image. Rather, we have a much more desperate need that plagues and curses every one of us. Our greatest need is deliverance from sin. What is that? What is sin? Sin is spoiling the Star Wars movie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't do it, but... <laughs> I love Star Wars. No, that's just not cool, Nico. Don't spoil the Star Wars movie for me. <laughs> no, but sin is simply missing the mark of God's standards. It's hostility to God. It's doing things our way, not his way. Like, ah, yeah, well, yeah, 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 God. I'm going to do it my way. So what are those righteous requirements? In the Old Testament, we, uh, these were called the law. And over some time, they were condensed into the Ten Commandments. We've heard the Ten Commandments, right? Merry Christmas. <laughs> but let's just, take a little, let's just take a handful of these, all right? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. I might have done that driving through USA Parkway the other day. I might have. All right. Fail. Don't lie. Oh, I was running late to work that day, too. And I said I was cutting traffic. All right. Don't covet. There was this Corvette driving right next to me, and that was really, really nice. All right. Well, I think this all tells you guys that I should probably not be driving. <laughs> but just those simple three things, I mean, I can easily say, nah. I'm a sinner. I'm not meeting the requirements of God. What if a camera crew was going to follow you in one day of your life? How, how do you think you'd measure up? 
just on those three, not the other seven. Let's just, just on those three, how, how do you think you'd measure up? I don't think I'd do very well. What if um, we could record your thoughts throughout the entire day? Just on those three, how do you think you guys would do? I'd fail. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, all right. We can't measure up to the standards of God. I mean, that's clear. But what sin also does is it distorts our view of God. It completely distorts our view. And I want to go on just four little aspects of how, we, how sin can distort our view. We can view ourselves above God. This is kind of a worldly and secular view of God. This is saying there's no need for God. God's what's wrong with the world. There's a question that I've heard once. It said, if God's so good, why is the world so bad? If God's so good, why is the world so bad? And I'm just going to suggest to you that even that question is distorted. That the question should actually be, if God's so good, why are we even here? You see, it's grace and mercy that we're here. I'm not saying that the injustice in the world we shouldn't be upset about. That we should be upset. This is a fallen world. Injustice is upsetting. When we hear things on the news about kids being shot up at a school, when we hear things on the news, when we see children, I think it's 5,000 children a day die of water issues. That's upsetting. But when we shift our blame to God, that's where we're getting distorted. Because it should be far, far worse. Because the great dilemma is that we're sinners and God's holy. So what do we do? The right thing to do, we ask for justice. The right thing to do is for God to be like, all right, I'll give you justice. No people. <laughs> there was a great theologian. I can't remember um, his name's fleeting for me. But he was supposed to write an essay about what's wrong with the world. He turned this paper in and says, I'm what's wrong with the world. That was all. He failed. But it's true. You see, our worldly perspective of God um, can distort us. I mean, ultimately, we're saying that there's no meaning in life. We work to live, or we live to work, and we work to eventually die. Ecclesiastes says this pretty, pretty well, that we continually chase after the wind. It's all meaningless apart from God. View two is a view of religion, a, a religious point of view. That God's not personal. He's not a personal God. Or this might be a view of, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I, I can earn my way to heaven. This is what happened with the Pharisees, right? It was all about works-based religion. If I do this, this, and this, then he'll accept me. No. That's not right. That's a distorted way of looking at it, too. 
You know, the, the biggest difference between Christianity, do you know the biggest difference between Christianity and every other religion? Every other religion says, you got to do this, this, to earn your way to the graces of God. Where Christianity says, Jesus says, it is finished. The work is done. You come as you are, and you are beloved child. What does religion, this point of view, lead to? Well, it can lead to judgmental judgment on other people. You, there's a little bit of a thinking of you're higher than yourself. Like, ah, uh, I got myself together. Um, you know, I follow, I do, my, I do my stuff. I read my Bible. I come to church. But if we're honest, we're all in desperate need of grace. That every one of us, every one of us is our sinners. So we shouldn't think of ourselves higher than the other person. But we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. What about uh, view three? We approach God with just wants. This is another way that sin distorts our view of God. This is like treating God like he's a genie or a slot machine. I come to him when life gets hard rather than I come to him just because he's worthy of coming to. We treat God... Um, like I said, as a genie, we approach him, we ask him for things, but it's my wants. This is what happens. We, I think we all get confused on what wants are and what needs are. And when we approach God, we should be going, your kingdom come, your will be done on my life. When we approach God, we're just coming to him because he's worthy of coming to. He's worthy of us coming to our knees. He's worthy of us serving him. So, our wants. What's this lead us to? This could lead us to entitlement. This could lead us to a life lived for comfort. This could, lead, this could lead us to just frustration with God because when we ask God for something and it doesn't deliver, we're frustrated with him. No. The fourth view is our motives. This one's a little bit more sneakier because half the time we don't know what motivates us. I know I don't. And this is approaching God with fulfilling your own desires. Maybe your position. Uh, this is the sneaky one where it's like if you see someone on the side of the street and they're homeless and you go, I'm like, all right, I'm going to give them some cash. Here we go. But secretly over your shoulder, you're going, someone, someone seeing me? Someone looking at me? Someone praise me, please. It's hard to tell what our motives are because we kind of don't really understand what our own sin is. I took a class called uh, Love and Respect. It was a marriage class. It was an awesome class. But it taught fundamentally um, humanity's deepest fears. For men, and this could go back and forth, but for men, 
it is inadequacy that at the end of the day, if they feel inadequate or not respected, it's a massive fear deep within their heart. This is a motivator. And for women, at the end of the day, it's not belonging, not feeling loved, not being cherished. And again, like I said, it's, this can go back and forth. Men could fall into, eat, you know, it goes back and forth. <laughs> but we don't know what motivates us. It's hard to tell. So this can lead to, I mean, this leads to broken relationships. This leads to selfishness. This leads to just a lack of genuine relationships. Because if our motive is always to self-preserve, self-preserve ourselves, then we're never going to let anyone in, and we're never going to have any genuine relationship. This is an effect of the distortion of sin. So if we're all honest, at any moment in our lives where we can fall in any one of these categories, right? I know I do. We could jump around from any one of these. So what's the consequences of sin? I think we've established, all right, I'm a sinner. Merry Christmas. (laughs) I'm a sinner. All right, all right. What are we being saved from? Jesus says from our sin. But what are the consequences of sin? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Not just death, but eternal death. An eternal separation from God. That sounds harsh, right? That sounds pretty harsh. That might be a a response that you get. So I want to answer that question. By our own standards, we understand that being, that, uh, not yet. (laughs) By our own standards, we can understand that being hostile to different degrees of authority provoke different consequences. So let me give you an example. If your kid comes up to you and smacks you in your face, what are you going to (laughs) do? What are you going to do? Like, oh, get to your room. All right, all right. If you pull up to the side of the road and there's a random stranger there, and let's say he's like a big dude, like he's like ripped, and you go walk up and you're like, no reason, just smack him in the face. What's going to happen? He's going to take you out. <laughs> all right. Let's say a cop, and you walk up to a cop and you smack him in the face. What's going to happen? Probably going to get tased. Uh, handcuffed, beat up probably a little, and thrown to the back of the cop car and go to jail. Okay. Now let's say you walk up to the king or a president and you smack him in the face. What's going to happen? If you even get there, you're probably going to get gunned down or shot. If you do get there and you smack him in the face, you're probably going to have a lifetime in prison. (laughs) Okay. Now we have spit and smacked in the face of the eternal God, creator of the heavens, creator of the earth. The consequences, it fits the crime. By our own standards, we can understand this. R.C. Sproul says that we are 
We've committed as sinners cosmic treason to an eternal God. This is like waging, an ant waging war with a, a whale. Or an ant waging war with, I, I, I want to go bigger, uh, uh, the ocean. Like we've committed cosmic treason to a holy God. So we're, the punishment fits the crime. We deserve punishment. But here's the Christmas message. It's coming. <laughs> if we continue to read Romans 23, we see that, yes, the wages of, war, or the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. That is the gift. And how, how are we saved? This Jesus, this God who saves us, that came as a baby, will grow up. He will live a perfect and sinless life, being the perfect sacrifice for us. Because only God can bear the weight and judgment of God. 33 years later, we would who would be pierced on the cross, taking the full judgment of sin on our behalf. Like I said, he'd be our perfect sacrifice. And as he was on that cross, he would yell, Father, forgive them. They, they do not know what they do. And he would finally say, it is finished. It is accomplished. He took it all for you. There's a song that I think really, well, this is, I want to give you a quick illustration. Um, God taking on the sin of the weight is like if we would walk into a courtroom and everyone says, he's guilty. You're guilty. God comes in and Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 no. I'll take it. Set them free. I'll take the full weight. And there's a song that we sing here that I really think embodies this. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Church, you are forgiven by Christ's blood that covers you. Romans 8 says, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in himself in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You are free in Christ, church. John 3.16 says this. You've all heard this, right? But I want to go a little bit further because we don't tend to read 17. We just quote 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have 
eternal life. And here's 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Church, this is an invitation for people that are believers and believed in God and walked away or life's gotten hard. God's saying, come, come back. The gift is free. It's for you. It's for you. And for skeptics that are just investigating who Jesus is, I just strongly encourage you to put your faith in Jesus. That this is a gift that's, there's no strings attached. It's a gift for you as well. And we will welcome you into the family of believers that we're brothers and sisters. And as we light our candles and sing, Oh Holy Night, let us stand in joy and wonder of this God who came into our world for the single purpose to save his people. God has a plan to save us, to be with us. This is the good news of the gospel. I'll finish with this. It's a quote from Lauren Daigle. Daigle. I'm not going to sing it, though, because she's way too good of a singer. And I think this really embodies the whole Christmas story right here. Love incarnate, love divine, star and angels gave a sign. Bow to babe on bended knee, the savior of humanity. Onto us a child is born, and he shall reign forevermore. Come and see what God has done, the story of amazing love. The light of the world given for us. Son of God, son of man, there before the world began. Born to suffer, born to shame, born to raise us from the grave. Christ, the everlasting Lord, he shall reign forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, oh, we lift you up, Lord, with all glory, all might, that you would think of us, Lord, and enter into our grimy world, leaving your throne on heaven and coming humbly as a child for our sake, Lord. Lord, I ask you that you would move our hearts towards you, that you would bring us into an understanding of your love for us. I pray that this Christmas we would get past the things and the stuff and the hustle and come to an understanding that the greatest gift has already been given. And that's in you. Jesus Christ, I pray.